welcome to Flourishing Education, the podcast that provides you with conversations with experts and like-minded people who would like to see education turn into a flourishing environment for the well-being of all. So, are you ready? Let's start. Hope you enjoy this session. Today I'm recording a conversation with Megan Norton. Megan and I spoke initially for the first time last week and we had such a wonderful time that I decided to invite her on the Flourishing Education podcast um, to have a powerful, imperfectly perfect conversation with her. Um, So a bit of background, Megan is an adult uh, from a third culture kid. She's uh, lived in 10 countries, she can tell us a bit more about that, five US states. Um, She's based in the US and is an intercultural communication trainer and speaker, a third culture mentor and advocate, and also has her own podcast. So, Megan, thank you so much for speaking to me today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. So, um, let's start with my first question. Can you tell us a bit more about what third culture kid means and you know about your own experience as a third culture kid? Yes, absolutely. Uh, third culture kid, or as the acronym is, TCK, is an individual who has spent the majority of their developmental years outside of their passport country or countries. And so we can say TCKs are diplomat kids, military kids, missionary kids, kids of international educators or nonprofit or corporate kids. And so what's unique about third culture kids is they have this uh, shared experience of not necessarily being from one country or one culture um, or even two cultures, but this interstitial space of what they have amalgamated from their experiences growing up. So it doesn't mean that they've lived in three countries or four or five or six. It just means that they've been navigating um, belonging in more or less uh, two or three cultures. Okay. And is that a positive? Would you say it's positive to be from a, a third culture as in you know, being a third culture kid or does it create challenges for young people? It's definitely a both and, and that's what I advocate when uh, you mentioned in my bio that I'm a TCK educator and advocate. It's because I do work with organizations, I work with schools about talking about the profile of the third culture kid. And it's definitely a mix of benefits and challenges. And there are ways to be proactive, to have some preventative measures of making sure it's not a negative experience or it's not an overly positive. But you know, when I moved back to the US for university, I had lived in six countries. And yes, and my passport country is the US, but I had never really lived there apart from, you know, the summer visits. And so it was, it was huge culture shock to figure out who I was and 
um, I found that at my university, there was this misunderstanding that I was bragging about my life experience, but it was my life experience. I hadn't lived in one location for 18 years. So I had to reframe or sometimes uh, leave off the location piece to be able to connect. Wow. So which countries did you like six countries? That's massive. Where where did you where did you live out yes. of interest? Yes. Well, in, in the order of moves, it was the US, South Africa, South Korea, Germany, Japan, and Israel. <laughs> so and really culturally different countries as well, right? So yes. wow. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. Um so so you were talking about identity and about fitting in and everything else. So one of the one of the things that I've seen in my research is because my background is linguistics, intercultural competence like you. Um, and, and because I'm an expat, you know, I'm French living in the in the UK. I lived in Spain before coming to the UK. So I've had my own experience of living abroad. Um, I have noticed for me that a lot of what I label flourishing students tend to be culturally agile. So they have this curiosity, this openness, this adaptability that a lot of, you know, I would imagine third culture kids would have because they'd have developed the, the cultural agility from living in so many like you in six different countries. Mm -hmm. So different. So um, do you see that as a positive, the cultural agility? Is that helping young people? Yes, absolutely. I believe so. Um, that ability to be flexible, the ability to move in and out of social spaces, the ability to have multiple perspectives. I, I definitely think those are skill sets that are, you know, I, I would say as the world is becoming more interdependent, I think that there's more um, opportunity for cross-cultural experiences. And so I, the, Ted Ward, he was a sociologist. He said, third culture kids are the prototype of the global citizen because of the ways that they have developed these skill sets, these soft skill sets, these cultural skill sets at a younger age. Um, and definitely I think that is, is a pattern of, of success for even into their, their careers of how do they navigate differences um, because it's it's been ingrained in them. Wonderful. And so that's the positive, but also, like you said, if you've spent your formative years in a different country with different cultures, and then you have to re-engage in a, in a culture and a country that, you know, your passport says you are originally from, but I would imagine you don't really relate to as closely as you would for the other countries. Um, what are the implications in, in terms of, of well-being and, and for, for the young, young people? Mm, yes, again, it's the both and. It's the paradox of this kind of upbringing of you are exposed to so many worldviews, perhaps, so many um, beautiful cultural elements that you integrate into your life. Um, the flip side 
of that is this deep loss that you can experience over and over again with every transition because you're losing uh, your home, you're losing your community, you're losing food that is part of your daily uh, ritual and habits. And so the implications of that can be um, actually kind of negative if they're not processed well. And I think that's the importance of the family system, first of all, to understand how do you process this? How do you take care of this? And I think that looks different at different life stages in the, in the childhood and even adolescent development. Um, and I think it's the responsibility of the family unit to process that well. Additionally, I would say it's the responsibility of the education uh, system that the child is a part of because that is the child's world essentially outside of the family unit. And so I love the now new research, new um, even transition programs that international schools are putting in. And I'm, uh, I'm very keen and focused on that because I went to international schools. So I'm looking at that pattern to develop those those good transition bridges between international schools so that the implications aren't feeling isolated or feeling like you don't belong or feeling lost in, um, in a new environment. So uh, it, it, it's definitely, I would say that there are more tools, there are more resources, there's more literature, um, even your work of flourishing education that needs to be absorbed by globally mobile families. Mm. And I, I love the, you know, what you are mentioning. So that the loss, because I think for me, um, there is something very similar happening, for example, to home students who have been in the UK system for, uh, you know, from, from year seven, so age 11, all the way to their A-levels very often in the same um, institution, the same school, and then they have to leave to go to a different city in the UK. Usually people go to university as far away from their parents and their family as possible. Um, and, and I often sort of mention when I present my work that maybe what we see in students is they're experiencing culture shock in a sense that they are leaving their support networks and their friends back home um, and they enter a new culture because let's face it academic writing is like learning a foreign language right mm -hmm. um, <laughs> if you've got to learn to write a foreign you know an essay academic essay it's not quite the same as what you're used to in in school so i often use that analogy of of the culture shock when uh, when I talk to students to help them understand what they're experiencing and that sense of you know feeling isolated and you know feeling not that you don't you may not belong or you you have not a lot of connections with people particularly because first years may enter in halls of residence with people who are there because they're first year students but they don't always have things in common right mm -hmm. so what I mean what would you what could you share with with me and the listeners about what we can do you saying it's the role of the parents or you know, the family or the education setting to help so in our case if they're moving to our universities it's for us to understand what we can do as teachers and, and educators in HE um, to support them so what would you want to share 
to help mm-hmm. us to do a better job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And I'm really loving that the growing public voice um, of third culture kid research, of third culture kids telling their stories is almost now uh, normalizing this term. And in fact, there's there's another more umbrella term of cross-cultural kid because what you're speaking about if educational differences, sometimes that's a culture shock. And we're seeing educational th- uh, cross-culture kids in which their education system culture is so different different from home culture that every day they're code switching back and forth. And so, I think that having the term third culture kid is um, is something very uh, important for universities to know because it's not the same as international students. It's not the same as uh, necessarily um, a multicultural student. And it, it can be the third culture kid profile, learning about it, for a third culture kid personally um, can be very liberating and very healing in some ways because it places this, uh, I don't like to use the word identity, but this shared experience of, okay, I'm not alone in this. And also that goes to the point of some third culture kids think that they are so unique that they cannot um, adjust or they cannot find commonality with somebody who hasn't lived abroad or had a cross-cultural experience like they have. So um, I think learning the profile, understanding it is a first step to say, okay, these are the different expressions of a TCK or this is um, different ways that they could possibly adjust to a new environment. Mm, I love that. And I interviewed Dr. Gray in one of my podcasts some time ago, and he was saying at the end of the podcast that it, which reflects what you're saying, that actually our children are not really, you know, and, and Khalil Jabral said that about like in the prophets that we are, we the parents are the, um, the, the, the bow that sends the arrow forth. Um, and it, in a way, the, the, we can learn so much from you know, third culture kids because we can apply the principle of getting to know the individual uh, for who they are. So Dr. Gray was saying, well, you know, just because you've co-created, you know, with your partner, a child doesn't mean that it's a mini you and mini your husband, but it's actually a unique individual. Um, and in a way, what you're saying about understanding the background from that young person, um, I don't think even myself personally, I'm not sure I have, maybe it's because I don't have the time that would like to have, but I don't really get to know all of my students, you know, if it's 180 of them in first year to get to understand them as unique individuals that they are, whether they come from, you know, an international background or a third culture or were raised in the UK. So, Again, do you have any tips that could help me (laughs) do a better job? (laughs) Well, I, um, you know, we've just met uh, recently, you and I, we've had, you know, just a couple conversations, but already I I feel that uh, you have such um, an innate curiosity to 
other people's stories, to know them and to uh, respect them, right? To, uh, you know, I just love that. And I think that welcoming demeanor and even creating that, that space to talk and that creating that space an invitation to share is is something that you have and i you know can't imagine then in a semester long with your students I, I imagine that they have that same sort of approach to you that they can they can create some sort of bond or relationship so i i think that it's um from the very beginning it's creating that connection through asking questions and I had one professor, if we're talking about the university setting, we, the first class on a three by five card, he would have us write down where we had lived before, um, some of our interests and maybe our major, I don't quite remember, but he collected those and he had that in our student file. And so when we went for office hours, he was able to engage in that small way, um, in that way. So you know, that's one example of how teachers can get to know their students. And I think there's a growing need. There's still a, a very big, uh, in my opinion, growing need for um, more cross-cultural training for educators who go to an international school. Um, I've done some training in the past for student teachers who go and teach in an international school. And tell them about the TCK profile because sometimes young TCKs, they have had so many goodbyes that there can be some extreme um, expressions of one, like attachment, they, they want to be your best friend or they'll be offstandish because they don't want to be close. And so telling those about to educators, this could be a child in your classroom is so important. And uh, I, I always say teachers should have a, like a, a goodbye party box in their classroom because those students who have to leave mid-year, um, you need to say goodbye properly. So have some streamers, have some balloons, um, have some cards that the students can write goodbye because that is one way of a healthy transition. And I love that because obviously we've COVID currently, we can also learn from that, right? Because many young people, and I don't know, I assume it might be the same for you in the States, but for us, many, well, it, this is the second year running that actually UK students have been told their GCSEs and their A-levels will be cancelled. And so they're going to have to transition to the next stage of education without what they view as the normal way of, uh, you know, a bit like that. So they will experience a sense of loss. Um, so I, I would love for us to discuss, because I know we've talked about that last, last week, so I'd love for us to re-engage for our listeners. Um, around the concept of, first of all, identity. So... Um, one of the things that I'm noticing more and more, and this is also true for me, is that, you know, I've gone through like 10 years of self-development and, and, and growth to let go of so many I am's that I'd spent the first half of my life to build. So, you know, those identities as, you know, I am French, I am a mom, I am a teacher, I am a mother, I am a daughter, you know, all those things. 
And sometimes those identities clash with one another or they conflict. So, you know, being a, a good mother, but also being a full working uh, mum, you know, full working to sort of like time work. Uh, can, can you talk about that sense of identity from third culture kids? And what can we learn from, from that for, for in terms of how we approach young people? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a complex mix <laughs> for identity development and even personal leadership development for third culture kids sometimes because of the conflicting messages about values, about what is culture, what is your culture. And so one way to approach it, one model is for third culture kids to look at their community, uh, third culture kids can look at their uh, traditions and third culture kids can look at their skills. And so looking at those dimensions of how they change and what are they rooted to, what stays the same, uh, can help them realize their own personal identity attached to geography or attached to tradition or and how does that relate to your you know, if we think about family system and community system and country system, I think what is a challenge is when values and core beliefs sometimes are contradictory. And so definitely taking the time to understand what are my personal values, convictions, preferences um, as a personal human being operating in these different cultures. And that'll look different, of course, in different ages. Um, but I think it's important for the family, again, to in emerging adulthood, to give that freedom to TCK teens to explore who they are in these realms. Mm, yes. And I think we could, we could, as parents and, and educators, we could encourage all of our teens to explore their values, their preferences, who they are, what they stand for. Um, you know, obviously my my two boys are you know, 13 and 10 and a half, and they're both being raised with French and English as, as a language and, and exposed to French culture because obviously I grew up in France and my parents don't speak very much English. Um, and I can see when they're with their friends how um, they they sometimes view things and see things differently from their friends because they've got that two, the, the two different cultures. Um, and recently, uh, Jack got really upset. Uh, and I think his friends, so Jack is my youngest. Uh, I think he his friends didn't realize, but they, they were playing online and he was talking to me. I was asking him questions and he was responding in, in French. And his, his friends were like mimicking what he was saying in, in French. And I think they was just A, getting carried away in the game and B, not really realizing, but he came off the game really upset. And it, he'd never said that before, but we sort of started saying, why do I have to speak French? You know, why am I not like my friends? Um, and, and I could see that he was really hurting. Um, so, Obviously, this is specific to my children, but if we if we as parents, we see our teens, because obviously te teenage years is the years where we just 
there's so many things happening in our brain with the pruning with the you know the whole who am I what do I stand for the peers become much more important and they have a lot more impact so you know this was the first and it's only 10 and a half this is the first time that was it was almost like mentioning I'm not sure I want to respond back in French to you which he'd never said before so as a parent again what's the best way for me if I see my teens whether they're they're, they're from a um, uh, you know um, not monocultural but actually it's, it's of different cultures um they're struggling with who they are and identifying their values and their preferences. How can we help them? Mm. Yeah, that's a huge question. That's um, and it and it's so painful. It hurts me to hear that that story because um, you know language is so connected to emotion also. And so I think that maybe that was a realization to him about how language is connected to you and your relationship and not necessarily to his friends. So I hope that he sees it um, not as something to be ashamed of or, or not to um, be embarrassed by, but to know like, this is a skill that I have. And I think those kids maybe, you know, felt left out and they were operating out of fear and they were operating out of um, not even belonging. So that's like a, the child reaction of, okay, we're gonna make fun because we don't understand. Um, so again, developmentally um, different ways to approach that, but specifically, for emerging adulthood, for teens, I think it is important to um, encourage more independence in the decision-making in also trying out different skills, different hobbies. Uh, I think that's really important to cultivate what are those skills in, in that realm of identity that brings me joy. What do I, can I work on that will, um, be something fulfilling to me. I know that like playing an instrument in, in, in the short run, it's frustrating, but when you're then a young adult or even into adulthood, that's a way of relaxing. And so encouraging them to try out different skills, even with sports, I think is really important. Also managing anxiety is, is huge. Absolutely. There's, um, I think that well-being for teens needs to be addressed more and more in concrete ways of letting them have those skill sets to address it and not to avoid it. Um, and so in those ways, I think it's really important. Uh, also, I think it's really key to cultivate mentors. Um, I know for third culture kids, with so much transition in community, it's sometimes hard to find that consistent, like situational mentor. And so that's something I really advocate for young teens is find that person outside of the family unit who is a safe space for you, who you can go to. And sometimes I'm finding in um, 
nonprofit US mission organizations, they have a third culture kid advocate. And I think that's wonderful. That's a wonderful position to have for those third culture kids to go to that person um, and, and build that kind of trust and encouraging TCKs to have the, you know, those personal mentors. So in the immediate family, maybe an educator in school, but also the aspirational mentors. Who do they look up? So in the long run, who um, do they want to be? So having even that long-term vision for the teen to say, ah, oh, that's something I could see myself doing or being. Mm, yes, because if they look up to their peers who are as emotionally immature as they are, um, <laughs> it's sometimes a bit of a disaster rather than actually looking you know, for a, a mentor, someone who can, who can help and support you. And, and, you know, link to the story that I've just told about Jack, um, he actually expressed very brilliantly how he was feeling. Um, I, we did ask him if he wanted to stop speaking, responding in French in front of his friends because of their sense of belonging. And he said no. Um, and he actually asked me to contact the parents of the friends to just make them aware um, how that was making him feel. Um, and not not because he wanted his friends to be told off or anything, but just because they wanted them to be aware that their behavior was actually creating something in him. Um, and it's, it's worked out really brilliantly. And wow, I love that. So, so yes. yes, I think, I think, you know, for me, it's about encouraging discussion and communication because, mm -hmm. because they're all emotionally immature, right? They just, they're, they're growing and they need our support. So really mm -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Amazing. So we, we talked on there's two things that you mentioned that I want to explore. So I don't know, um, maybe we'll go with the one that I'm guided to talk about, which is the um, that sense of belonging. So we, as human beings, we are social animals, right? And we are wired to connect with others. Um, but very often we, I mean, we can connect with others on a very superficial level um or we can connect with others in the way that i guess both of us connected because we share values right <laughs> that's what happens um so and that is a, for me a deeper connection because you know instantly it's almost like recognizing your your kindred spirits you know you know people who share your values and share your passions right so again this is something that i've learned to develop throughout the years so I've always been like that and I think for teenagers it and I would imagine that third culture kids is the same that that pull to be to be part of a group and to belong is so important right because from from a development developmental perspective and you know from from how they are wired our kids are supposed to fly the nest. They need to, when we were tribes, they were supposed to uh, stay out later. That's why their, their body clock changes so they can hang around with their <laughs> peers and they can then learn to, or find their own tribe, right? So how do we help develop that sense of connectedness? Yes, again, um, huge question because 
belonging and community, well, yes, at a very the physical level, it's um, we're hardwired to connect. And when the when you don't connect or when there's an intentional um, exclusion, the brain fires the same pain as if you were to break uh, an arm or break a leg. It's the same in your brain, that pain. And when you know that, that, that <laughs> gives me the motivation to tell, you know, every educator, um, every school counselor, you know, every, every parent to um, help facilitate this, this community. Um, and I think to look at it at the, again, the family system and the educator system would look different um, because family culture can place, can place more um, importance on being interdependent or they could place it on being independent. And I think with interdependent values, there's, there's greater emphasis on group harmony and cooperation and the, the child or the individual will derive identity from that group affiliation. So really understanding, okay, what does that look like in the family context? And then also in the community, again, looking at that anchor for TCKs and actually any, any individual, um, when that community affiliation is cut, that's a loss. And then how do you develop it in a new environment? But there are some families, and I would say, you know, like here, US American values um, really stress independence, individual identity. There's great importance on personal choices and achievements. And we see that in uh, the education system. We see that even in the workplace. So when, for example, a third culture kid comes from more of an interdependent culture or even family lifestyle to come to the US where it's very much you you place emphasis on taking action on one's own term, there can be major disconnection and dissociation and misunderstanding in community. So I would say look at what area you're, um, you're looking at and also what time or developmental stage, but definitely looking at um, community is so important. It, it really is. And making sure that those relationships are, are not quick release. Um, I think that some, if we talk about third culture kids, there is this quick release of, I moved and we're no longer friends. But I think that social media and the ways to connect globally has, has changed that a little bit. Um, so I am hopeful that relationships can be more long-term for third culture kids. Yes. And it's, it resonates so much with a lot of my work. So, you know, a lot of the work I've seen with languishing students, for example, is because the competitiveness that young people are experiencing, this is also true in the UK, which is rather more individualistic, can, you know, focus on the individual, um, they you know the competitiveness leads to a massive fear of failure uh really high perfectionism and you know extreme um you know sort of in some cases of low self-esteem and imposter syndrome so that feeling that they 
um, you know, somebody's going to find out that they're not good enough, etc. And all of those, you know, when competitiveness is the polar opposite of collaboration and community, right? Mm -hmm. So for us, when we say one in two young people will get goes to university and one in four will get a first class degree, if you make them work in fours, they look at each other and say, one of us will get this first. I'm not really collaborating with you because you're going to scarper my chances of getting the first. So what can we do to move away from that competitiveness? You know, how can we as parents and educators promote within a system and, and a culture that just promotes the competitiveness? Mm, yes. Oh, I when you mentioned earlier about connecting on on similar values, uh, I think that's what connects us so much so deeply, because as an educator myself, I, I definitely want to place more emphasis on developing the skill sets earlier um, in primary school and secondary school for cooperation, for collaboration. And I I love how some education systems are exploring what does um, not marking on grades or marks. How do you um, develop a sense of achievement and accomplishment and fulfillment without a letter or a percentage? And I think that's one way um, to create that sense of self-esteem and self-confidence in young people that okay, my life is not marked against a rubric, but rather it's marked against all these other factors of what are, are my skill sets in communicating or relating to others or um, being a problem solver. So I think it's, it's core in the education system to consider what are the learning outcomes and not necessarily the mark outcomes. Absolutely. And I think I think I guess we can only be the change we want to see in the world, right? Yes. It's so difficult to change to change the whole education system, and maybe just having conversations like we're having and sharing it in through the podcast is one way of getting people to start thinking differently about those topics, rather than just simply accepting them as well. This is how we do things. This is our culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and one thing that I um, would kind of self-critique on myself as an educator would be, how do I respond to students who, when I when I put out a question, if it's not, quote unquote, the 100% accurate answer, how do I develop that and how do I respond to that? You know, I, you can really diminish someone's confidence to speak in a classroom if you say, well, not quite, or no, that's off topic. But really, um, for an educator, yeah, to understand how are you um, sh understanding how someone's thought processes is working and what approach they're taking to, to answer the question. So yeah, it's definitely um, what you said, being the change we want to see in the world. It's yes, having these conversations. Yes, absolutely. So is there anything else that we haven't discussed so far that you would want to mention that I haven't asked you a question about? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> um, you, you know, I, 
we met through our our common uh, friend Louise Wiles, and she um, and I had a conversation about about this about identity development, and I I am left with a lot of questions still about how this COVID period are affecting our our rising generation, uh, you know, with learning at home with experiencing lockdown and it, it makes me wonder how we'll see in a couple years um, what the outcomes are. I think so many of the the generation you know rising leaders are are experiencing resilience, are experiencing grief, are experiencing this need to be flexible. And so I would like for third culture kids students who have gone through this before really be advocates and even mentors or brokers for the generation who haven't experienced this before to say this is important um, and really to acknowledge their agency to to be um, bridge builders and to help them move along in healthy ways so I yeah that that involves your two children of yes, yeah, <laughs> saying, yeah, 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 you yeah, know definitely. of um how do you develop those healthy rhythms of of leadership of personal leadership and going through this really ambiguous transition worldwide yes and i love that 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 is exactly what i'm trying to do with a local school so i've got i'm doing this research for one year running a program with year 12 and 13 students so for, uh uh first and final year of the A-levels, literally trying to train them to be well-being champions. So uh, teaching them to be to develop self-awareness, then understanding about who they are, their identity, their values, you know, and which part of themselves, you know, like the flourishing model I mentioned, the flower, what type of flower they are and what do they need for their flower to flourish. And then teach them the third part which is okay what about cultural agility how do I become a cultural culturally agile person and then once they've done that course to then uh, encourage them to become champions well-being champions and to share their knowledge and their experience with their peers and almost like train them um, in a similar way um, so Fantastic. yes yeah it was quite similar to what you're suggesting right Yes, I, I love that you're implementing that now, because also, again, again, I think, and this is why I love working with third culture kid teens, is that they, they have this ability, they have this resilience in them, and to draw that out, and to identify it, and to acknowledge it at a younger age, I think it makes them even more confident in young adulthood that, yes, I can have boundaries, I can have agency um, and I can adjust. And I think it's also very important for third culture kids to understand they don't need to continue this journey of, of moving, but rather to root because they have these innate skills of adapting. So powerful. Wonderful. So uh, Megan, when I wrap up, I always ask my guest to give me one or two things that they would want the listeners to take away from our conversation so for you what if if you wanted to leave our listeners with with a couple of things I mean it doesn't have to be a couple but you know usually uh one two three whatever what would that be mm. 
Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. I love um, these, yeah, small takeaways, these tidbits, last pieces of wisdom, nuggets. <laughs> um, I would, since we're talking about uh, developmental years, uh, I would say let's continue to tell uh, our young people that discomfort is a healthy learning experience, that really finding that learning zone um, will expand your comfort zone and recognizing that they can choose to understand rather than to simplify. So choosing to understand differences or um, researching why did I feel that way or what might be happening in this situation that I'm assuming you know, something different about, but really investigating what's going on here rather than simplifying or using words like always and never. Um, but life is really about navigating the in-between. Oh, I love that. Life is about navigating the in-between. Fabulous. Absolutely love that. Thank you so much. Fabian, thank you. It is such a joy to talk with you. And again, it's it's like our core values as being idealists, you know, we're, <laughs> we're synergizing right now. <laughs> Absolutely. And I've got a feeling that there's more, there might be more to come. <laughs> there might be more conversations and more collaboration in the pipeline, because this is, yeah, it's just, I think we could, we could learn so much more and we could draw in education so much from uh, you know, the third culture, the intercultural communication, and I think we should. Mm -hmm. Yes, because the world is becoming smaller, more in interconnected, and definitely more interdependent. And so we do need to have all of these factors and talk about them with our young, young generations. <laughs> I agree so much. So thank you so much. And I, well, I wish you a lovely day because it's obviously the day for, for you. It's the end of, of the day for me, but have a lovely, lovely day and I will speak to you really soon. Wonderful. Thank you. Yes. Have a good evening. flourishing.